Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In today's episode of the Canon Podcast, join us as we look to find solutions to the Kai Havertz problem, break down where Arsenal's attack needs to improve, analyze the rumors regarding Benjamin Sheshko, and break down how Arsenal can beat Newcastle on Saturday. Yes, guys, welcome back to the Canon Podcast. And today I am joined by only Alex. George is unfortunately ill, so we'll get all soon to him. But me and Alex are here to break down a lot of things, all things Arsenal, starting off with a defeat against West Ham United, the Mighty Hammers. You know, I was at the game yesterday and uh, it was quite the experience. I will say with West Ham fans, um, enjoy the games because you seem to want to taunt Arsenal fans more than actually enjoy the games. Like there was literally kids next to us that when they scored, would not celebrate and just turn and do that to us instead. As if like we've got a massive rivalry with them. I get it. We took a star boy and we keep chatting about, you know, Declan Rice left because you're, you know, Tottenham. It happens. He's our player now. You have to accept that. And look, listen. If you're booing Declan Rice as a West Ham fan, have a deep look at yourself. I don't know why you are booing him because he is literally your arguably, you know, at least in recent times, your greatest captain, even more than Mark Noble, because he had an achievement where he won a trophy, which, you know, Spurs fans would say that would make you an instant, you know, a cult hero. You have to respect Declan Rice, but what do you make, Alex, of the West Ham fans, the faithful booing? And there were some applause as well, by the way, but there was many Arsenal fans. I, I said it on the interaction that we did on here. I found it super weird, super weird. Like, I, I, I can understand someone maybe feeling indifferent or maybe not liking the fact that he left and all those sorts of things. But what are we? We're in November now. Like, you know, any like, you know, he's he's gone off. He's clearly doing well. He's played 14 games for us. He won you your first European trophy since 1965. And you don't have to cheer him. It's absolutely fine. But actively booing him, I found that super weird, man. I think it. I think it's. I, it, I sense, I don't know this, but I sense it was probably the younger fans. You might be able to tell me because obviously you, you were there, but just that sort of mm. like, it's it's slightly like Twitter, like trying to get one up on each other type social media. It felt really social media-y to me. I don't know why. I don't know if it was young fans because there was a lot of geezers. But then I will say one thing. A lot of the young fans there do look like geezers. They got the hats on. You know that? What's, the, what's those hats called? The, the Peaky Blinders hats. What are they called? Uh, flat yeah, caps. I, Peaky, I call them Peaky Blinders. Yeah, flat caps, yeah. yeah. 
I call yeah. Biggie Blonder hats. Like literally, there's probably kids that are 12, 13 yeah. wearing that with a full geezer attire. <laughs> so it's hard to differentiate. And also, West Ham Stadium, you have to appreciate, it's literally segregated in such a weird way where the Way fans are separate from the Way fans. And then there's West Ham fans in between the Way fans. Like you don't know what's happening. There's guys behind me that honestly could not see what's happening. Like he had to describe the game to the guy next to him saying, yeah, so he just took a shot. That's not far away from the pitch. I could see. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the West Ham fans, listen, I appreciate, you know, you guys have won massive win for you guys. West Ham, apparently European champions. That's what I found out yesterday. Yeah. I don't know when you guys won the Champions League, but apparently you are because even the commentators, the, the guys that announced at the stadium were like, uh, at half time, champions of Europe won Arsenal nil. I said, you... <laughs> Listen, let them have it. Let them have it. Let yeah, have it. I, I don't want to. I don't want to speak about West Ham. Let's talk about Arsenal, anyways. It, it was a defeat. Now it was a weird defeat because in the first half, I actually thought in the ground, I thought we were decent. The control was good in the game. Of course, one thing I will say that was really, really annoying, especially being in the crowd, is how toothless our attack was for most of that game. The amount of times we get the ball into the final third and West Ham would just crowd ourselves out. Alex, what did you make of the performance? Actually, we start from goal of Aaron Ramsdale. A lot has been made out of the fact that we had 0.4 xG conceded and, and he conceded three goals. I will say the first goal, a, a bit unlucky. Maybe he was fouled. Second goal, uh, you know, and it sounds a bit like Frank Lampard here, but I'm pretty sure... It, I mean, it, look, it, I don't think you save that. It's a good shot. The third goal, if I'm right in saying, was deflected. Mm. So, Ramsdale's performance, talk to me. There's a temptation, I think, when these types of results roll around, uh, which was really frustrating and I was frustrated with... Um, to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and sort of go, well, every everything's up for debate now. We've had a bad result. Everything's up for debate. And I think it's it's hard and our, maybe, you know, our job, our self-appointed job, frankly, but, you know, what we think is, to, I, I think as fans, is to try and, um, try and segregate out what, what is sort of a pattern and what is a regular problem and what was a problem of the game. I I agree, with, you know, you, look, you can look at the XG, and you could say, you know, Ramsdale did poorly, but I look at those three goals and I say, one of them is an unbelievable moment of quality from Mohamed Kudus. Like, other teams get to do tactics too. That was a really good goal from them. Zinchenko, we know, is a, is a, is a, uh, isn't the strongest defender. And I think, you know, we, we saw it again there. And could he have done better? Yes. Could Ramsdale probably have done better? Yes. But broadly, I would look at the West Ham thing. And then the other two goals, I mean, if, if there's VAR, the first one's ruled out, the whole game's different. And, and thirdly, um, uh, the third goal, sorry, uh, I, it was deflected late. Now, you could say, well, none of that matters. You know, they scored three goals. It, it's a results-based business. And I would agree with you, and it's disappointing. But in the analysis and in the looking back and saying, what should we take moving forward? I think, and I believe as in, in my, my discovery and my learning on this is all going, right, what is a pattern? What can we take from that game that has been a problem in the past and could go into the future? And for me... That brings us back to the attack, which is why maybe I'm avoiding the question about Ramsdale. I, I I don't know about Ramsdale. I'd rather talk about more more broadly. When I looked at those goals, I didn't see a Ramsdale problem. I haven't seen him have those issues in the past. It felt like a, a specific thing of the game. What I am seeing broadly is the attack not functioning again. And that's what I'm interested in discussing because that's a pattern and that's something that we can talk about more broadly. I would, I would agree with you. I mean, <clears throat> firstly... If you, if when you're in the final third, if you give the, 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 every time you get into the final third, you give the ball away, nothing else matters. Matters, not the positional rotation, not the balls in behind, not the shots on target, not the pattern play. Nothing matters. Not way. Nothing matters. Is if when you get there, you give the ball away, and that's what Arteta said as well. So, 
you know, it's it, 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 like that's you could almost end it there. But equally, the, the thing that, and, the, and the pattern I feel is the is the one noteness. It's the fact that we are constantly seeming to be playing at the same tempo in the final third. That is really frustrating. And that I think is a problem. And that is something that I don't know how you fix. I mean, you know, we've seen it with, um, you know, you could argue, have we had our first 11 fit enough, you know, enough this season? Maybe not. You know, have we had Sakamot and Ellen Jesus together? Maybe not. Look, they, those players last night hadn't played together very much and they looked like it. But in the end, the same problem is occurring game in, game out. Where when we get to the final third, we're playing in the same tempo. No one's willing to quicken it up. No one's willing to slow it down. It's just pass, pass, pass. And it's the same thing. And you see it when Sacco and Martinelli come on. They, they add a bit of injection of something, a bit of life. But yeah, I'd, I'd, honestly, I'd, I'd, I don't know how you solve that other than going to the individuals and saying, please take more risks. Something I said on the instant reaction, and I'm interested in your, your take on, is I wonder now whether we have the almost the inverse issue that we had a couple of years ago, where when we're playing with like Bellerin and David Louise and Holding, whatever, those players are, I think, were not overloaded with information, <clears throat> but had so much information from Arteta saying, here's where I want you to stand. Not there, not there, stand there. I need you to create three options in possession. You know, Rob Holding has spoken about this. Three options in possessions for this guy. I need you to stand here. When your right back does that, I need you to do this. That's so much information. And I think that's what led to the robotic football that we saw in sort of 2020, 2021. Now, I think almost the players know what they're doing to such a degree that any deviation from that might get you in, tr not in trouble, but might, Arteta is such a, a specifically, uh, he's, he's such the guy detailed. at Arsenal now. He's so detailed. But I wonder whether they know the details so well and they Arteta knows they know it. And now, is it a case of, well, if I step out of that, if I don't do exactly what you're asking me to do and I spot an opportunity, especially with the way Ramsdale's been treated, what happens? I don't know. That, that's my working theory. I, I'm not sure if it's right, but what do you think of that? Yeah, I agree. And it feels like um, there has been a less amount of freedom expressed this season. And I'll give you an example, actually, in our game against Sheffield United, where, where Smith Rowe started. There was one occasion in the second half where I think he swapped with Havertz. I'm not sure if it was tactical or if he just asked Havertz to swap sides to go on to, to play with Saka. And I think within a minute, you could see Mikel shouting at Emil to get back over to the side and swap right. again. So... Maybe it is a thing where Mikel wants this control because he, he, he realises with football nowadays is very specific roles and he has ideas for these players which sometimes he might not be executing. So he clearly would have it. So the reason why he starts him is because he's got a clear idea of what he wants from him. Yeah. Whether he's given him that, we're not quite sure. But the fact that he keeps starting him, maybe he says that he is. Now, that's what Arsenal fans ask the question of what is Havertz actually offering Arsenal. I will say in the first half yesterday, he was decent. Um, he was dueling, he was winning, and he, he was fighting. And, you know, fans could see some fight. And that's what fans want to see, especially in the way crowd. You're like, yeah, go on, mate, get the ball back. But in terms of what he's doing with the ball, uh, someone actually posted a, a compilation of him today um, at Bayer Leverkusen when he's dribbling past players. And I have not seen Havertz attempt a single dribble all season for Arsenal. I'm not sure his numbers are, but I haven't seen it. So in terms of Kai Havertz, right, we have to ask the question of, where is the solution? How do we solve this problem? Because when you've got 65 million pounds and we're talking about this season, because maybe in the future he finds his role, he finds his position and it works out well. But this season, something's not working out and everyone can see it. So it's almost like we were back into, as you said, 2020, 2021, where you can see the problem and the answer was a Mills Smith throw in that point, a number 10. Where do you think for Havertz, is it as simple as against Newcastle, play him down the middle? Because we've only seen him start there once this season and that was a community shield. Yeah, 
Um, it's a really hard one. And again, um, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, well, Havertz isn't playing well, so let's just get rid of him. You know, uh, what is he offering that's 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 good, and what is he, what could be improved? It's not. It's never binary. And I think what we're seeing from a from a positive perspective is I think he's he he's making a lot of great. You know, and and I'm only saying, and I can already hear the people saying that's not enough. I know. I'm just saying what he's offering. I think he's offering some great off-ball movement. I think he has generally been pretty good in terms of on the defensive side of things. I think he, the ideas that he displays in terms of in the final third and in terms of where I, what I can see and sometimes that sometimes the messaging, especially towards the beginning of the season, which I think is slightly going to drift a little bit more recently. Um, the ideas of what he's trying to do, I can see. His execution, I described it on the instant reaction, it's like a baby driving a Lamborghini. I think you can see he's got all he's got the physical capacity, but he gets it wrong so often and 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 crashes so often. Honestly, I think you might be onto something in terms of the carries and the dribbling. I think when you see a player, especially who plays in that position, who I don't want to say refuses because that sounds like it sounds like it's a conscious choice, but doesn't. Let's just put it that way. Doesn't carry the ball. Doesn't dribble the ball. Doesn't try and take players on especially when you know he has that capacity and certainly did that as a younger man. I described it, um, I was on uh, another podcast and I said something along the lines of it. It's almost like he's got a second album syndrome. So you know when a, you know, a musician puts out an unbelievable first album and then they try and replicate what it was because they're not working from instinct. They're working on all, I did something there and that was sort of the magic pressure. and that created that, that amazing moment. And I've got all this pressure. People know I can do that. I don't really know how I did that because I was working just out of instinct. I wasn't, almost wasn't thinking about it. And now he's coming to it. And I almost see that sort of second album syndrome coming for, for Havertz. Look, I think, honestly, I rarely put things down to this because I, I honestly, I don't think, I think there are technical elements to this in terms of his first touch and in terms of how he uses his body. And I think there's those things he can focus on. But I think all of that will come if he gains some confidence. And then the question is, how does he gain that confidence? And I agree with you that I think it comes from playing him down the middle. I've said for a while, I think... It's not that being a number nine is easier. In fact, I think it's the hardest position in football in terms of pressure, in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. It's the hardest thing in football, right? But I think sometimes when you're a number nine, your actions are simplified a little bit, especially when you're playing in this, as the number nine that Havertz would be in terms of receiving balls from long and knocking it off. He's not going to be asked to, to, to run the channels as, as Havertz is a number nine. He's, it's, not, it's not what he's going to be doing. He's not going to be asked to to drop deep and link play and he may do but you know he's that's not really what he's going to be doing if you put him there you're asking him to be almost like a target man and that's like almost like a a simplified and simple is not the same as easy they're different things it's a simplified thing and i wonder whether giving him a simpler role in the team makes for simpler actions and therefore he can complete them with more confidence now the question is is that right when especially when jesus comes back into the team should we play with a with a target man I don't know. And then the meta conversation is at this point in November, is the 65 million pounds best spent on, on Kai Havertz when we looked last night at what Mohamed Kudus and the injection of pace and energy that he could bring for West Ham. And you're looking at, you know, James Madison, you look at all those guys, you're going, is that, was that the best thing for this team? Was it? And I, I don't think you can make a case that it was. E even, even if you can see the things that he's bringing. Yeah. The argument I've seen made for the opposite is that what Kudus and Madison offer is different to what Havertz offers. So they're more yeah, in the mold sure. of Martin Odegaard. 
So we've got that profile. The point of Havertz, I think, why Mikel might have signed him was to give us something different. So in those games at Man City, he can take help us take over the line. And, and I think the example is the two games against Man City this season where he's helped us, I guess, play a different way. Whether it's worth the money is a different argument. But I think that's why Mikel signed him. Personally, though, Babs, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is what you're saying, but I don't agree that Erdegaard is the is the Madison profile. I don't agree. I think Madison is much more pick it up deep in the left half space and drive through midfield. He's the he's the kind of he's much more central. Erdegaard, I think, is yeah. a, is a much more of a pass first guy. He's yeah, much less on the dribble. He and then and then when he gets to the final third, he's the guy doing the final action rather than providing the pass for the final action, which I think is what Madison does. I think people get him wrong in their head. So I don't actually. I I, I think a Madison. Uh, look, we we get into hypotheticals here. I also don't think Madison was the right player, but you know it's the question of was this the the perfect way to evolve the team? And I don't yeah. think you can say in November that it was. Yeah, and the reason why I say the Havertz thing is because he is so different to Madison. So the fact that if Mikel wanted a Madison profile, he would have targeted that. Maybe that's something he I wanted agree. to add anyways. Maybe that could be Fabio Vieira. Maybe that's the point of Fabio Vieira's profile. But I think there's a lot of maybes at Arsenal right now and he's not helping Havertz that there's so much uncertainty around him and he's not in a settled team either. So I think there's a problem there and I think the solution for me is definitely playing him down the middle. Whether he starts against Newcastle is down to Mikel Arteta. Dropping Eddie Nketiah, who I think has a really poor record away from home this season. Mm. We'll, we'll see, we'll see. Um, another question then becomes the right-hand side. Let's talk about how Arsenal are biased on that side and how we can move centrally. Solutions, again, we're looking for solutions. We're not tacticians here, we're not tacticals, but we're looking for potential solutions. Uh, down the middle, I saw, I think, a stat that you posted on your Twitter, or the X, the fact that Arsenal are more, I think, biased on the right-hand side, the, the highest in any, uh, of any team in the league, but down the middle, we're the lowest. So what do you think is happening there? Is it as simple as that progression isn't happening from a Thomas Partey and we're having to be forced that wide to our better player in Bukayo Saka? Thanks for checking out the Canon Podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel or go to patreon.com forward slash the Canon Pod. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.